You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! Welcome into the Odson Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Monday edition, Halloween edition of the Odson Audibles podcast mailbag. We've got some questions. Uh, happy Halloween to the listeners. Happy Halloween to you too. Uh, hope you guys are tr- going to be. Are you guys uh, dressing up to go trick or treating tonight? Are you guys going to partake in the activities? Uh, well, Matt, I will be going to Dan Lanning's press conference at six forty five. Oh, that's right. We yeah. have work. That's right. So, yeah. so no, I I plan on just going in sports reporter uh, costume. <laughs> we yeah, could show up in costumes. That would be. Yeah, would, it could happen. I don't know. You know who will do that is Hayden Herrera. If Hayden Herrera from KMTR is going to the press conference, he always dresses up as one of the Oregon football coaches. I will be curious to see if he uh, if he makes an appearance. But first, before we dive in, guys, I, we got to have some Halloween talk here. Top five candies for Halloween. Do you want me to list off my five first? Yeah, you go first here. Sure, set the I, table. I'll be honest, Matt. I uh, I don't care about this holiday. I just like candy, so I don't know what even Ooh. constitutes <laughs> Halloween candy, Ooh. so I don't know if like my choice is like I like, last night I ordered a a really great candy bar, but I don't think it counts. It's like a Tony's chocolate bar. Have you had these before? They're really good. I don't that, think that does not count. That's not a Halloween bar, but that's what I eat for chocolate. So I, I guess it doesn't <laughs> count. Anyway, go ahead. What are your five? And I'll, say, I'll maybe I'll just tell you what I like. Okay, uh, for number five, I go Twix with candies. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big caramel guy, so this is all gonna have some caramels in here. Some Twix for five. Number four is a Snickers bar. And then mm-hmm. the pivot here is number three is a Crunch bar. Number two is a Reese's peanut butter cup. I think those are money. And then my number one, if you're on if you're on Twitter, you knew this was coming. It's it's the 100 grand. It's kind of a combination of the caramel, the the chocolate, and also the crunch all rolled into one. I, I think the 100 grand is hard to find uh, outside of Halloween, but boy, it's it's a steal. I think it's the most underrated candy bar out there. I bet you, As what you I'm eat eating, chocolate. I bet you what I'm eating right now tastes better than anything you're talking about. I guarantee it. It's such a good candy bar. It's an early chocolate, man. Well, it's a small, tiny little piece. So I just took oh, a little bite. Um, maybe not that small because it's taking me a second to chew. Um, <laughs> you want me to go then? No, no, no. I'm just enjoying this chocolate bar. It's really good. Uh, okay. no, I, I, uh, my number one. You know, and, and I, I told Matt, we, Matt and I talked about this. It's a little bit of pre-scouting on the on the drive back from, from Memorial Stadium on, on Saturday. I'm a big Butterfinger guy, which yes. I think counts, right? That's a, That counts as a Halloween candy. That counts. Bar. Yeah, Okay. absolutely. Any candy counts as a Halloween candy. Okay, then I guess Tony's chocolate would be my number one, which oh, I just boy. consumed. Um, but uh, I, I'd go Butterfinger. I, uh, Reese's was my number one for years, and I think I've surpassed it. thing is, I'm more maybe... I, I like some chocolate bars, but I also really like a good, you know, kind of sweet candy, a non-chocolate oh, candy. Yeah. So like a, a Mike and Ike, which I know we both share in common. That's a big. I was just going to say, are you surprised to not include Mike and Ike in mine? I, 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 I had some and you woofed them down. Oh, I love I love Mike and Ike's. I will go after Mike and Ike's. I, I just assumed because they weren't included, they don't count as Halloween candy. So I was I was going to avoid them. Um, I, I like a Starburst. I had a couple Starbursts yeah. down, down at the. It's a good uh, Halloween uh, candy. Down, mm-hmm. at the, yeah, down at the hotel, they, they had a. a you know, they brought in like candy service every day. Apparently, I don't know what that was. Matt, did you sign up for something like a specific candy? They, they brought like a bunch of stuff to the room, and one of one of the things they brought was Starburst. That's where they were all going. By the way, I don't think you ever got any. <laughs> I never um, even saw Starburst, so yeah, you ate I, it all. I, ju- I jumped on <laughs> it before you got. I jumped on it before you uh, you got there. Um, and then, <laughs> how, many, how many do I have right now? By the way, I don't even know. I, 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 like, I think you're uh, at four right now. Three or four. I think you're at four. Uh, I'm trying to think what else is good. You know, what I had the other day that was really yummy. Uh, it was a Rolos. I like a Rolos, Rolos slap. Those are good. Which Those I which good. I think is sort of similar to a Three Musketeers kind of ish in terms of the the, the sort of flavor profile. So if, if if that if a Three Musketeers counts more as a Halloween candy, I'll say that one. 
Okay. All right. So a wide guys, variety of, of yeah. options there. Yeah. I like it though. Did you guys go like in order or is this just a top five? Well, Matt I went five, yeah, to, Matt I went five to one. Eric went one to five. I just threw things out. I had no idea. I was just talking. I'm gonna to, to, to I'm time. just gonna I'm just gonna throw things out here. Um I'm also a big fan of the the more of like the fruit flavored candies than I am the chocolate candies. I'm just that type of person. So, you know, I'm sorry if that upsets anybody. I do have a good amount of chocolate on here though. So not in any order, but Reese's, Kit Kats, Tootsie Pops, mm. Butterfingers, Butterfingers, excuse me, and Dots. 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 Mm-hmm. That's an old man's old school candy, <laughs> my friend. Oh, yes, yes. Shout out my pops. He uh, loves Dots, and now that's bestowed I mean, upon me, and now I'm going to bestow it upon my children one day. Everybody's gonna Eric, does your dad man. like Dots? Because uh, my dad loves Dots, too. I've, so. I've never, I, I, my dad and I have never talked about Dots. Get, I think get, you should. I think you should open that conversation. What we did talk I, I about. Think go. Ahead. I was going to say. Dots is talking. a nice is a is a candy that's popular for kids that were born in the sixties. And as I say, kids as in now like older men. Uh, <laughs> you said, I, I think a Tootsie Roll is another one I do like. I know that I, I'm going to shout out mm. my my the late great uh, Bob Tidy Scopel, who was a huge fan of the uh, the Tootsie Roll. That was his go to Halloween yeah. candy. Yeah. So that, that that one resonates as well. I'm a fan of the Tootsie Pop variant. I think it's delicious. Which which is the fruit-flavored one, right? Fruit-flavored candy lollipop with a Tootsie Roll on the inside. It's delicious. Okay. Mm -hmm. No idea what that is. Sounds good, though. What? Really? Okay. I'll have to get you one. All right. Yeah, bring bring, one. It's like up your alley, too, Eric. Yeah, it's a good one. I already ran through. Like, I like the... uh, well, hopefully, they become advertisers. The high class chocolate uh, bars over there. Someone get get Tony a sponsorship on the yeah. show for. I'm gonna call uh, Tony here. and be like, "We put your, we, we really advertise for you." <laughs> I uh, don't know who Tony is, but let's let's get him on the show. Yeah. All right, let's <laughs> dive into those. Let's dive into these questions. Uh, if you disagree with ours, get, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of disagreement with our with our five. No, here. everybody's uh, going to agree. No, no give, give us your five. Give us your five. Yeah, I'd love to see what people say, and uh, it, you know, if anybody loves Tony's, let me know because it's a great. Yeah, I've never even heard of Tony's until you brought him up. Well, yeah, you know, it's about five. It's about five. I don't want to move on for a second. I said it we were going to. Where I don't want to move on. Where do you even get Tony's? I haven't even yeah. heard of it. Market of choice would have a Tony's. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could get one over at the uh, what is what's what's that? Uh, Capella Market would have a Tony's. Okay. That's where I usually buy okay. my Tonys. I, I, I don't want to do another advertisement, but I found a. I was, I was winning a snack last night. I got back from our drop, my drive back from Berkeley, and uh, wanted a snack. And I found this new Grubhub uh, ordering service that has a Tonys on it. So you could use. I think it's called GoPuff. It's another Go option. Puff. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a new thing. It was good. I got a. Uh, I got. I got a Tonys bar from GoPuff last night. Anyway, uh, hey, should hey. we talk football or do we want to keep talking candy? I'm open to. I think there's this. some football we should just throw out there. Okay. okay. Just a I don't couple. Know if you're seeing this yet, um, Auburn hired yeah. their new AD, uh-huh. and like within five minutes on the job, he fired Brian Harson. Oh boy, that's a bummer. It's a shame. That just happened. Um, well, the only reason I bring that up is I don't think he would go, but we're gonna hit into November for like the third year in a row where an Oregon head coach is gonna be linked to an SEC job, or, or an Oregon offensive coordinator who may have worked at that place before too. That's very true. That's um, very true. Okay, that's that's notable stuff there. Um, it's funny because I think there was a, a rumor that uh, Mullins would be a candidate for that. Yeah, Auburn Auburn AD job. Clearly, Which that would did not make any sense. No. no. Okay. Let's get into the mailbag. We did ask questions. We do have a we asked. <laughs> we do questions. have a mailbag. <laughs> people, people did send in responses, and we can now talk about them. Um, first question from at TJ Norton sixteen. Taking into account home versus away games, is Oregon State? the hardest win left on the conference schedule. Um, I think it's top two. I think I still go Utah. Um, I think we're going to learn, and I might have a different answer after Friday's game between Oregon State and Washington, by the way. If, if Washington like really puts it on Oregon State, I, I would probably shift, shift some things here. I think that's going to be a really interesting outcome because right now in the conference, you kind of have your, your top four that are all, by the way, ranked like right in the top, top 10, top 11. And then you've got a decent gap to the Oregon State Washington pair, and then behind that is just kind of like complete. It's a it's a disaster. It, it, nothing good is going on basically from that part of the conference. Um, so I would still say Utah at home is 
a tougher game, in part because if you look at the head-to-head between Utah and Oregon State, and some of this is going to depend upon how healthy Utah is. I mean, you, anybody who watched that Washington State game a couple of days ago knows they're without their quarterback, without their top couple running backs, without their top tight ends been out for the season, but then their replacement, mm-hmm. Dutton Kincaid, who had been amazing against USC, got hurt. So it's like a lot of questions for Utah in terms of where they are health-wise. But that let's assume they're pretty healthy a couple of weeks from now when they come to Autzen. I still think that's the tougher game. Utah kind of put it on Oregon State. Uh, earlier this season, Oregon State is is playing very, very well, but I haven't seen Oregon State compete very well with the top teams in the conference, I guess would be my rebuttal. You know, they, they USC actually, they played them, they actually played USC. They played them pretty well. I have, I, have, I have to give them credit for that. But the Utah game, not so much. I know they had a quarterback issue in that game, so maybe I'm being too harsh. But I still go the Utes at home as the toughest. I go Oregon State probably second, Washington third, and then this upcoming game is, I think, a pretty distant fourth in terms of most competitive games. Like, I think one through three, you could convince me, could all be games that are competitive into the fourth quarter. This upcoming game shouldn't be competitive into probably the second or the third. Probably not. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm in line with you, um, and and literally just like you said, I'm gonna pay attention to that Oregon State Washington game, and then maybe this order changes. But to me, it's still Utah at home. They're just the better overall team than Oregon State is. And they, you know, they've kind of steamrolled some guys. I mean, that game against USC was incredible. They, I mean, obviously they didn't steamroll them, but they put up a bunch of points and they held USC at bay when it when it mattered the most. Oregon State, you know, obviously it's a road game in Corvallis, but it's not there's gonna be plenty of Oregon fans there. It's not like it's going to be a true road game where you're going on the road to I don't know Arizona State or when when an Oregon went to Arizona and it was quote unquote a sold out crowd for that game. It, it, I just think that this Utah game is the most difficult one left left on the schedule. It shows that clearly in just the, like the AP polls and the, and the coaches polls as well. Um, I think Washington could be difficult because this is a team. Washington is a team that can take advantage of Oregon's weaknesses which has been a constant talking point on this podcast and one by me, even though like half of them haven't come true. So uh, that's another issue, <laughs> but um, Oregon state is, as, as we know, as we, we've followed them for the last couple of years under Jonathan Smith, their offense is, is really good at points. Um, they've really struggled at quarterback this season, which makes me kind of believe that it's not that much of a difficult game for Oregon. If they can control the run game and how Oregon state does in the ground, I think it could be, relatively like a, an overwhelming matchup against Oregon State. Um, but I think overall, yeah, it's probably the second hardest game left on the schedule. I just think that Utah is going to be a challenge, especially if everybody's healthy for them. I think they're all equal in difficulty in their own different unique ways. Um, I, 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 or I would agree that Utah's the hardest right now, Washington's second, Oregon State's third, but I don't think the margin is very wide for any of these games. Um, I, I think Oregon State, it, it's a road game. It's a team that the last couple of seasons have played Oregon tough. Um, games have been closer than anticipated, and it's going to be in a funky environment where Reeser is getting remodeled, and it's sold out like a limited capacity crowd, but you go back and you hear what happened at USC when, or when USC came to Corvallis and it was people that covered that game said it was crazy environment. Uh, I think Utah is the t- most talented team of the two of the three remaining teams in scenario for this. We're excluding Colorado here. Um, but are, are we going to see a, a fully healthy team from Utah? I, I don't know. Um, because their quarterback was out against Washington State this weekend. Uh, their running back was out. They've already lost uh, their best tight end. Their second best tight end got hurt in that game. Uh, I think they were missing somebody else too. Um, now, Whittingham today has said like he only talks injuries when it's season ending, and he said that there's no season ending injuries right now. So maybe these guys are going to be back in time for the Oregon game. Um, but they're the most talented team. But then UW, and what's, what's Oregon's kind of like weakness right now? Defense. And especially getting off the field on third down. And Oregon would be playing one of the best passing teams in the country. Not alone, not just the conference, but yep. the country. So I, I think all three of these games are very difficult. Um, I think they're all unique in their own ways. And it wouldn't, 
they're going to Oregon's going to be favored in all three, but it wouldn't be a big surprise to see Oregon drop one of these games because their defense just, I think, is getting better, but it's still not even close to where we all anticipated it to be. Um, and they're going to play some some tough offenses and some talented teams that present tough challenges for for this team, for this team to win three those three games. And I guess maybe the argument for Oregon State being the most difficult would be. Could you argue defensively they're the best of these teams? Like it's pretty close with Oregon State and Utah. If you look at just like the by the numbers, I mean Utah's tops in the conference in total defense. Oregon State is second. Um, you know, Oregon State is third in in scoring defense. Utah is second. I mean, these are mm-hmm. maybe you could argue that Oregon State will give Oregon a, a tougher defensive showing than Utah. I'm not sure I'm sold on that. I think Utah's actually improved quite a bit defensively. I think that Washington State game, they won because of defense. They had a, they had a walk-on at quarterback and were able to win in a really tough environment and really shut down the Cougars, especially in that like fourth quarter there where they had some opportunities. So, um, yeah, I, I, I still think Utah's the toughest game. I But I think that game in Corvallis could be kind of funky. And as Matt said, like 25,000 fans there will be – very strange and i will be curious to see how many oregon fans are there i mean i know there's going to be tens of thousands that like to be there but because of the reconstruction like is it is it going to be like a a more favorable environment in a weird way because of that at research i don't know it's going to be a storyline to follow as we get there i think that just to just to conclude the segment the answer is you've got a very very winnable game oregon is like 31 point favorites on the road over colorado which is crazy Um, and then you've got three, I think, relatively to, I think, I think just three tough games, period, down the stretch, two at home, yeah. one, one in the home state, all very winnable, but also all games that you could foresee Oregon stumbling and losing, or at least playing competitively towards the end. So we'll get kind of excited to get to that part of the season, honestly, kind of get through the Cal game, the Colorado game, get to the tougher stretch and kind of see how everything plays out. I think that's going to be kind of a fun three game run there to, to close regular season. Okay. Second one from at Matt Villanueva 16. The Ducks need help on the national landscape to make the college football playoff, but control their own destiny in the Pac-12 race. What are Duck fans' rooting interests for fellow Pac-12 teams and upsets on a national landscape? I think this is a timely question because we've been putting off the college football playoff talk for a long time, and the reality is about, what, 30 hours from the time of this recording? We're going to have actual college football playoff rankings for the first time. Those mm-hmm. come out Tuesday yep. evening. I think Jared and I are going to do a reaction show shortly after that. And we'll have probably some some better thoughts in terms of who you're rooting for, who you're not rooting for once we see where Oregon's placed. But um, amongst the Pac-12 teams, I still think the best outcome for Oregon is to play USC in the conference championship game and win. If you're talking about getting to the college football playoff, if you're talking about winning the conference, Maybe it's a different answer. Maybe there's another team you think they match up better with. UCLA, they handled pretty well. We'll see what happens with Utah, et cetera. But if you're talking purely about getting to the college football playoff, you'd like to play all three of these other considered to be top 10-ish teams, right? They've, they're going to play. They've beaten UCLA. They're going to play Utah. USC's not on the regular schedule. You'd like to get them in there. And, and USC, frankly, is the biggest name. I don't know if they're the best team. I, I probably would argue they are of that three, but we'll see what happens in the head-to-head with UCLA. Um you just that's a bigger brand and beating USC in the conference championship would mean more than 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 beating UCLA for a second time or beating Utah for a second time hypothetically um so that would be my answer for the conference race so i think you're rooting for USC head to head with UCLA in a couple of weeks um and you're rooting for the trojans to kind of just take care of their business the ducks take care of their business and you have a meeting between two one loss teams on the season but Oregon being obviously an undefeated conference team that would be the only path to Oregon getting in, from my perspective, in terms of the national race. If you want to get into some of the national landscape stuff, well, you're rooting for Georgia, for sure, going forward. Because the one saving grace here you have if you're Oregon is you can say, we might have gotten our ass kicked in the first game, but we lost to the best team in the country. And this week in particular, you are big Bulldog fans. They play Tennessee at home, number one against number two. It's going to be an awesome game. I wish it wasn't uh, scheduled for the exact same time as the game that we're covering, but uh, I digress. That's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. We tra- I'll probably be watching that one out of the corner of my eye, hopefully during while Oregon takes care of business in the second half. So, um, Yeah, hopefully the second half at Colorado, we can just kind of get our stories done and watch other football games. <laughs> well, especially – it sounds. <laughs> it does sound pretty mean, but it, it, it has crossed my mind of like hopefully we're able to just kind of consume a lot of this Georgia-Tennessee game because I'm really excited to watch it. You're also LSU fans because they play Bama this week. Um, I think yeah. they also they, they play 
I believe Tennessee the fall a couple weeks from now. I don't have the schedule in front of me. I don't. I, yeah, I don't I, know either. I know they play both of them in the coming weeks here. Um, you basically want chaos in the SEC. You'd love to have Georgia be like the lone unbeaten, and Tennessee and Alabama both have two losses. That would open the door for maybe the SEC to only get one team, which sounds crazy because I think we all understand that the SEC probably has more than one team that should be in this college football playoff. Um, and then you're looking for one team in the Big Ten, probably Ohio State, to just completely take control of that conference. And maybe Michigan loses another game, and, and Ohio State dominates the head-to-head there and knocks the, the Wolverines. That that's kind of the the, the the path to it. But then you also have to worry about the ACC and the Big Twelve, who have undefeated each yeah. have an undefeated team as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. I still think like Oregon wins out. It feels like it should be a guarantee. Like, hey, they won. This would be like 12 straight games. That's incredible. At the same time, there's a lot going around them that will make this kind of tough. So don't. I, I think you can. I will say, like, I think Oregon will have a, a decent chance if they run out of making it. But I don't think you can say with like 100% certainty that they'll make it in. And that, like, as the question asks, you're like, Oregon controls its own destiny in the conference, but I don't think they do for a college football playoff berth. For a college football playoff berth, absolutely not. They have to rely on a lot of help. And even if they do win 12 straight games, that that one loss to Georgia is still going to. It's still going to be this this terrible black mark on their report card of the season. You know, it's one thing to lose by like 14. Showcase said it was a game, things like that. This was a complete ass kicking, like Eric said, and that's gonna that's gonna hurt them. And I know for Oregon fans listening, like, yeah, like why should it hurt them? They've clearly improved. Blah blah blah. All of these good things that Oregon has done, it still happened. And and the annoying the the good thing actually is that Oregon has played at a normal east coast time game slot for the last couple of weeks so people who especially against ucla so people who have written them off early in the season saw them beat ucla pretty handily and do all the good things and then show, show bo nick showcases his prowess and his ability to control the offense i still personally i don't think it'll be enough i think oregon in the pac 12 has a chance you know that they they easily control their own destiny here and you want USC to do well, you want Oregon State to do well, you want UCLA to do well, you want Utah to do well. So that if Oregon were to win all of these games, I mean, obviously they won against UCLA, but if they were to win the upcoming games, it's even more of a resume booster. Um, I just think it's going to be really hard for Oregon to get into the playoffs with that one loss to Georgia by a million points. Um, and I'm not sure, and I don't think there's going to be a Pac-12 team in the playoffs. I think even if USC and Oregon meet and USC beats Oregon or if Oregon beats USC, I don't think either of those teams are going to get in because you're probably going to have an undefeated Michigan or Ohio State because they play each other eventually. They play each other on Thanksgiving weekend, and then they're going to play the the Big Ten West champion, which is going to be like a 7-5 and five Purdue like these, it's not going to be a difficult game in the Big Ten championship. Uh, the Big Twelve obviously is TCU, and they're just steamrolling teams right now. Even though they had a tough weekend against West Virginia, um, that's going to potentially be another undefeated team. Clemson, I don't know who they're going to run into that's really going to beat them. They came really close a couple of times, especially against NC State. But uh, there's just going to be a, more unbeaten teams, and then you have to look at you know if you're the college football playoff committee you look at Alabama and they could be like a one loss team but if their one loss is to the number one team in the country in Tennessee and they lost in a last second field goal that's a lot better of a loss than than Oregon's loss to Georgia early even though it was week one in the season and it was real early that's still a better loss and you know, I don't want to rain on, on the whole college football playoff parade but you know, Oregon was in the same spot just a couple of years ago against Auburn and, and Justin Herbert and then Bo Nix on Auburn. You know, they they lose a really close game and maybe they get in, but it, it takes a lot of a lot of help when you're the Pac-12 team to get in. And luckily this season, unlike in 2019, Oregon, the, the, the Pac-12 has has like Oregon's back, basically. And, and Oregon has the Pac-12's back because they're all they have four teams inside the top 12, which is, which doesn't happen often. And that's a question we'll get to later in the podcast. But Oregon has a chance that they can win out, which, again, no team has done in Pac-12 in recent. I know that there was one team, but in recent history, no team has gone nine games in conference and won out. And But Oregon still has that opportunity. They're still the only undefeated team left in conference play. I just It's going to take a lot of help. 
And even if all that help happens, I'm, I don't know if Oregon might be number five, like outside looking in, just right at the doorstep. Uh, who is Oregon rooting for? Well, first and foremost, to make the playoff, you need USC to win out and you need mm-hmm. to play them in the conference championship game and beat them. Uh, you need UCLA to win out every game um, beyond the UCLA one and be 10 and two. I guess a, a rematch against UCLA wouldn't be the worst situation possible, but you probably would rather play USC than, than UCLA. Um, you And you need Utah to continue winning out. You need Washington to continue winning out. Um, it would be really beneficial for Oregon if BYU could get some wins before the, the season ends to help strengthen that schedule if you're talking about a college football playoff berth. And then, like Eric said, you want chaos in the SEC, and in particular, you want chaos in the SEC West. Um, that conference has three teams in the top 11 or top 15, LSU, Ole Miss, and Alabama. Um, it would be really important if all three of those teams have two losses going into the uh, going into the SEC championship game because a scenario you do not want to see is let's say Georgia – beats Tennessee in the call in this weekend's game. And then Georgia loses to a one loss Ole Miss program. You now have in the championship game, you now have Tennessee, Georgia and Ole Miss all with legit reasons to be in the college football playoff. I don't think the lead that the playoff would put three sec teams in out of four, but It'd be, be really, it would be really tough to do that. And, you know, you have three teams that have, have, you know, reasons to get into that. And I think all three would have better candidates uh, than Oregon would to, to get into college football playoff. Um, I'm with Jared. I, I think the likelihood that Oregon, you know, the closest they probably get is five. We'll know tomorrow, how, you know, kind of the, the sliding scale here when, when the rankings get released. Um, so I, you're going to need some chaos to happen for Oregon to get there. And they're going to have to go unscathed the rest of the way. They have no margin for error. If they lose a the game, they're done. There's no discussion. Yep. No more talking about it, but a one loss PAC 12 conference champion, you know, that should be enough to get you in, but they also have that 49 to three asterisk week one. So what we learn on, on Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening, when the rankings get released will be, uh, a big telling point for what's to come the rest of November, what's on the table for Oregon the rest of November. I don't know why I thought LSU played Tennessee. Tennessee's schedule after Georgia is very, very winnable. They played Missouri at South Carolina at Vanderbilt. So the, ten- the Volunteers basically only obstacle for uh, a regular season loss is this upcoming weekend. Um, mm-hmm. So you're definitely rooting Bulldogs there. And I, yeah, I, I'm obviously in agreement to where everything's at. And, and it's less an Oregon resume thing as it is a there's a lot of other good teams that have good resumes and Oregon unfortunately has the biggest blight out there with the way that game went down. And you just kind of, you know, it's kind of unfortunate because losing to the number one team in the country in your first game of the season shouldn't completely eliminate you from this type of thing. But the margin and the way that that right. set the stage for the season is going to be looked at differently than if that game, and this is where it's stupid because it should be wins versus losses, not wins of certain magnitude versus wins of, or, or losses of certain magnitude versus other losses of magnitude. But you know, if you'd lost that game by 17 points or 10 points and it was competitive, mm-hmm. you'd probably mm-hmm. be having a little bit of a different discussion here. But we'll definitely talk more about this because if as long as Oregon keeps winning, this will be at the forefront of a lot They're of in the discussion. Yep. But, Just yeah, got to win. It'll be at the forefront of a lot of minds. And again, Tuesday evening, we will have the first batch of rankings. And I will also say, don't get too excited if Oregon's ahead of some teams that maybe we're not expecting because the way this plays out is those teams will have opportunities to jump them. And vice versa. So, you know, the, the the first rankings don't always mean a lot. I think you can look at the past history and say, okay, well, a team was ranked here. Don't always finish above the team that they were ranked at to start because there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of things to come uh, this season. So, should be fun to follow. Real real quick, one thing to point out last night, Eric, or not last night, Saturday night, um, when Oregon has played a team, they really haven't looked that good afterwards um byu's four and five on the season you look at washington state and you know they they gave oregon fits they're four and four they've lost a lot 
Stanford is, is three and five on the season. They haven't won a lot of games this year. Arizona, that was a you know a team that we thought would give Oregon a lot of trouble. They're three and five on the year, so you know they haven't really played anybody that has a winning record beyond UCLA after after playing them. Um, and so that was why it was so important for Oregon's playoff chances to see UCLA at home against Stanford and kind of kick their butts because you could argue like, yeah, they've, they've played some, some teams, you know, BYU was a top 15 at the time. UCLA was a top 10 team at the time, but none of these teams beyond UCLA have really mustered much the rest of the season. And it's kind of impacted Oregon's resume a little bit from a playoff perspective. So it's, it was really big for UCLA to, you know, to, to win and win in the way that they did against Stanford. Is this correct? I don't think a team Oregon has beaten has won more than one game after in, amongst the FBS opponents, period. Is that right? That sounds about right, yeah. Sounds about right. I mean, UCLA has won, but they've only had one game since, so we'll that's, see what that's, happens. That's what I'm saying. Arizona hasn't won since. Stanford, no, I think, no. beat Notre Dame. That's the only game that they've won, I believe. Washington right? State? Washington State has won one game over Cal. Arizona, we already mentioned, uh, and then BYU, I think, has won just one game since. Yeah. So not helping Oregon's cause, for sure. No. Um, still a decent schedule. Like, There's still going to be opportunities, especially with this back end here where you play a bunch of good teams, but it's worth mm -hmm. noting. All right, moving on to our third question. This one could be pretty quick. I just wanted to include it because it, it led me to a stat I wasn't aware of until this question from at Stableford. Is Oregon – the best second quarter team in the country, hashtag audibles. The answer is yes, they are. Yeah. They are, yeah. actually. They've uh, scored the most points in the second quarter by a per-game perspective of 16.3. Uh, Tennessee's number two, Alabama is number three, or sorry, Texas number three, Alabama number four, Toledo number five. Um, Oregon scored 21 points against Cal in the second quarter. It's a team that we talked about the middle eight a lot, which for those listening maybe aren't familiar, that's the final four of the first half, first four of the second half. Second quarters in general, very positive for Oregon. You kind of do the math there. They're scoring about 16 of their 42 points just in the second quarter. Um, that's an impressive stat and sends your team to the half with a lot of momentum. And the reality is Oregon has deferred a lot and received the third, you know, second half kickoff and gone down and scored a lot there. So, um, the middle parts of this game here, let me quickly look up where they are for third quarter points per game. Um, they are at 20th in the country, averaging about nine. So the middle part of the game there, if you're going, you know, that's, that's pretty darn good. You're getting about 25 points in the second and third quarters there. Like to start better, certainly like to finish better. Uh, fourth quarter has not been a particularly strong quarter with the exception of Washington state. Um, Oregon has, averages about eight points per game in the fourth. And if you remove the Washington State points, it's about five. Um, but I digress. I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's notable. Of like, Where is Oregon winning these games? Like, Where is this offense finding its rhythm? It's been the second It's quarter. the middle eight. Yeah. yeah. It's the middle eight. I have some more stats as well. Um, Oregon has the highest dip offensive differential in the country in the middle eight, in the final four, in the first four of the third quarter. Um, at 9.6, number one overall. Uh, Utah is second at 6.6, .6, Ohio State's third at 6.4, Tennessee's fourth at 6.3, and Michigan is fifth at, at 5.6. So they have a commanding lead. That's three points a game more than, than Utah. Um, the rest of the top ten, so six through ten, is Bama, Georgia, Miami, Texas, and UCLA. Those are all pretty good programs, except for a couple of them, but I digress. Um, our good friend Zach Neal of Ducks Wire uh, tweeted this out the other day, even though I know he's not listening. Um, Oregon is 104 and or outscoring opponents 104 to 20 in the middle eight. Um, if you take out Georgia's game, it's 101 to six. Um, even Oregon's lone three points came during the middle eight. So that's a good thing to look at. Yeah, um, they're the I would yeah, I would say that they're probably the best second team or second quarter team in the country. And Eric just went through all the reasons as to why they are. Um, you could argue that they're the best middle eight team in the country as well. Um, and that's just what's going to win you football games more often than not. And, you know, Dan Lanning has gone on record. He's like, yeah, this is this is what we practice. This is why we defer. This is why we do things the way we do. Um, and it works. I have one thing, though. 
I, I don't know how to feel about the fourth quarter, Eric, just because you know, half of these games are blowouts and they're all their subs are in. So I'm like, uh, well, I know it's not, it doesn't look good on well, paper, but I think that's a real talking point this week. Like the fourth quarter is is just because I saw Jeff Schwartz's is a tweet and Matt and I talked about it, I think on the react the, the instant reaction podcast on Saturday and I know we talked about it outside of that like there how many games like every single one of their wins they've like kind of like let the foot off the gas in the fourth and given up some points like yeah and a lot of it's been with backups on the field which you can say well that's not a big thing but when we are in this beauty contest of trying to make a run at something like college football playoff when that's a significant part of it. You'd like to have seen them finish these games strong. Is that, but it, is that an issue of Oregon, or is that an issue of the Pac-12? Like we were just talking about how every team that Oregon has beaten has only won like one game since, where the the, the competition just isn't there. Where Oregon is in a struggle fest for all four quarters. They're just, I'm just in it I'm, for I'm two just and saying, a half. There's been opportunities to win, with the exception of the Washington State game. Every one of those games by about ten more points. Yeah, they're and still winning by twenty though. True. I'm just saying, in terms of this 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 beauty pageant of the college football playoff, right. everything has to look a certain way. Thirty point margins are better than twenty point margins, just like in terms of looking at it. Is the point I'm making? Right. And I, I'm not saying it, it's the end of the world because these are most of the time like you've got a lot of backups on the field. I was going to start naming them, but that sounds like I'm being critical of those specific players. Yes. Like it's not Keith Brown's fault that he's on the field and the defense gives up points. He's probably not at fault for most of the scoring, but like. These are the guys. There's just guys on the field who like aren't typically on the field. Like Kamari Terrell is, is has been playing mostly nickel, and he was playing like corner, slot corner, and got fell over on a 80 yard, 65 yard touchdown on Saturday. Like this is just kind of what happens. But if you're scoreboard watching, you're gonna look up and say, "Oh, Oregon won by 18." When it's like, well, it probably should have won by more. Right. And I will say, uh, Zach, Zach Neal, come on, listen to our podcast, <laughs> dude. We're, we're giving you shout outs nearly once a week. And Zach, I'll read. I'll, I swear, I'll read one of your columns like you've asked me to. If you, uh, <laughs> if you listen to one of our podcasts, I don't need to go into much detail about this because you guys have thrown it out there. So I'll only throw one, two stats out here. Uh, last three games. So Eric said that Oregon's averaging sixteen point three points per game in the in the second quarter. In the last three, they're even better, substantially better. Twenty three and a third points per game in the second quarter. Their last three, so they're on a tear. And then you just look at it from an improvement standpoint from last season, apples to apples a little bit, oranges, you know, apples, oranges a little bit too here, different staffs, different philosophies, but Oregon was averaging just under seven points per game in the second quarter and Oregon right now, 16 in the third, pretty good, pretty, pretty big improvement there. All right. Let's take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we'll continue this mailbag because we've got a couple more questions to go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Uh, three questions in, some power rankings of candy in as well uh, for Halloween. Two questions to go for the mailbag. All right, the fourth one from at Dustin Lieber. It looks like Bo Nix is making more checks at the line slash adjusting protection than any Oregon quarterback in recent history. Is that more of a credit to Kenny Dillingham? Or Bo being a multi-year starter, hashtag Ots and Audible. I don't think we've talked about this much on the podcast, so I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a discussion on this because this was a big talking point last week when Bo and Dan and even some of the other players talked about kind of this, this uh, I guess, dynamic that they have right now where 
Kenny is giving Bo basically three possible calls every play. And the first one is what they want to be in. And then Bo also has a run and a pass check to go, like basically the audible to something else. And he at the line of scrimmage, along with Alex Forsyth, is basically determining kind of what they end up doing. And I think you saw it like really clearly. Um, for example, like uh, I don't even know if like Bo got a call here, but the was it the first or the second rushing touchdown he had where it was just a QB sneak, second one. Uh, I don't think any call was made. I think he just got up underneath Alex Forsyth and they were like, okay, it's going to be a quarterback sneak. Just get behind me and, and punch it through. Like, I think that was literally like, I'm not saying there wasn't a call. Maybe there was just a quick call of like, yep, agree, do it. But it happened so instantaneously that I just assumed that was basically Bo being like, I'm just going to quarterback sneak this. We're at the one. We're really good in these instances. But there, th- this is certainly more than you see in the past. And Bo has talked about the freedom and the trust he has from Dillingham to basically get up there and be like, hey, yeah, I, this doesn't look good. Let's get to a different play. Or this actually looks freaking awesome. Let's just roll with it. Um, and this is a built-in part, according to Nix. And again, we haven't got a chance to talk to Dillingham since fall, which really is a bummer. I don't want to keep putting that out there, but um, I might put in a, I'm going to put in a request soon just to see if we could pick his brain because there's a lot of stuff going on that I'm curious about. But I, uh, uh, according to Bo, part of Kenny's offense is the quarterback is, is going to be asked to do this kind of stuff, these kind of things, just regardless of who they are. But more trust is given to the, the players who are, who are best at it. And Bo talked about how he was in high school. His dad would constantly kind of, uh, you know, his dad was a former college quarterback at Auburn and a high school coach. And I think coaching somewhere in Alabama, I think he might have been Bo's coach for a bit. If I'm, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn there. Um, but like how basically his dad would kind of quiz him on, okay, if they look, if this is the look you get kind of here are some things that might work and right, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he's been working towards this for like six to eight, probably more than that, probably even before high school. So he's very advanced and kind of reading defenses and understanding kind of what fits here, what fits there. So you are definitely seeing that correct, Dustin. And something we haven't talked about on the podcast. I had a couple stories up on the site last week. You can probably go find um, about more in the specifics of it. But yeah, Bo's talked about it. Bo also, I thought it was kind of a telling line. We mentioned Auburn earlier on this podcast with Harson getting uh, uh, fired. Um, I thought it was kind of notable that one of the things Bo said was that um, previous coaches sometimes do not want you to change the plays. And how there were times where he would come up to line and go, this doesn't look great, but this is the call they want me to make. So let's just go with it. And I don't know if he was scapegoating or saying that was a reason for some of his struggles, but he certainly got the sense that he feels a lot more comfortable with what he's doing here. And a lot of that is due to Gillingham, giving him the trust of saying, Hey, change the play if you don't like it. And, 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 it, and he wanted to clarify, it's not like he comes up and he just has free reign. It's he's got a couple different calls he can make and, and kind of audible to that. Maybe you don't see that very frequently at a college. You see it in the NFL all the time, but this is probably good training, by the way, for, for Bo to maybe make a, to push to play in the next level with kind of his history of doing this. Yeah. Oh, definitely good training if he wants to make the push to the next level. Um, just like to answer the question of if it's a credit to, to Dillingham or Bo being a multi-year starter, I think it's a bit of both. I think it's this is kind of how the team operates now. Um, defensively, they're doing the same things where they have the linebackers check. I remember talking to DJ Johnson at, at media day was way back in August and He's like, yeah, you know, we we just make checks now. Like, we get the initial play, and then we can check out of it. And I asked him, like, has that been something you've done at all during your Oregon career? He's like, no, this is the first time. And this is the first time that an Oregon quarterback, at least in the last couple of years, has really been able to get to the line and check and see, read the defense and see what they want to do. Um, so I think it goes both ways. I think it's it's Kenny Dillingham not being egocentric and saying – no, you have to run my play. Like, this is the one that's going to work, I promise. And it's him saying, yeah, this is the one I think is going to work. But, Bo, if it doesn't, change it. If you don't like the look, if they're playing zone rather than if I anticipated them playing man, change that look. And then it comes down to Bo just being a multi-year quarterback, a legacy of a quarterback, um, and just knowing defenses and re- being able to read them at the line of scrimmage and saying, yeah, this is this is the look we want, or no, this is not the look we want. And Eric broke it down before about how he gets you know these three options where you know basically all their bases are covered when they head to the line of scrimmage and i think that's why their offense is so good it's you know every once in a while they'll have a bad play and it's like ah well that's it but those bad plays are almost unexpected like when oregon went three and out for the first series against california 
that was kind of unexpected. I, I like they, this offense has been firing on all cylinders for such a long time outside of that first game that we mentioned. When they have a negative play, when they run for zero yards, or when there's like a, a bad throw from Knicks, it's just unexpected. It gets expedited and our, our talking points because it's just not, not what we're accustomed to seeing. And that's because of how well this offense has been running. Um, so I think it's a, it's a great testimony to both of these guys being able to put their heads together like this entire coaching staff has talked about before of the idea that, look, well, they want the players to get better, obviously, but they also review themselves and they think, hey, how can I get better? How can I work to get better? What can I do differently that will help the team get better? Um, I think it's just a really, really good overall team chemistry of uh, yeah, knowing who, are the, who the star players are, but those star players knowing how that they can get better as well and create a, a better team atmosphere and a better overall team. Yeah, it's like Jared said, it, it's both. Um, I, I think you saw some, some times where Bo changed the plays at Cal. Um, and in previous games, sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. I think it's more so been on the positive side for Oregon. And I, I think the three-year previous years of starting in college football probably helps there. Um, I think he's he's said it multiple times that, you know, Dillingham has, has set things up to, you know, it, it's easier to, to – understand what they're doing, why they're doing it. And the offense is um, set up well for the playmakers and, you know, Bo's job is a little easier um, in that regard. And then like Jared said, if, you know, I think Dillingham is, is a smart coach and we've heard multiple times from him or more often from Dan that, you know, the staff is, is trusting Nick's here and, you know, they're, they're being willing to open the door for him to make plays and, and change things. So it, it's, it's both. I don't know. Cause we haven't talked to Dillingham since fall camp. So like Eric said, we'd, we'd love to get more on this. So I, I, I really don't know how often this is the case. And you know, maybe there's, maybe there's something on the sideline that he can, you know, message to the side, like, Hey, can we check to something? And then, you know, we, they get, he has like a, a set number of plays to check to, or maybe it's a full range of, Hey, I'm, I'm changing it. And we're going to, we're going to go to page 14 of the playbook and diagram two of what we're going to do. I, I don't know. I think that would be an interesting story to you know find out as well. Of just when you, when he does change plays, what's the, the, po- the play selection pool look like? Is it both said, both said it was, he has two back. He has a run and not a pass check. Is what he both yeah. said, but but Kenny Kenny might say there's more to it than that, and both simplifying. I don't know. That's what both said. Right. Kenny, yeah. So. so it's both. It's both. Long 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 answer. Both. And, and I also want to give to the protection part. Forsyth deserves a lot of credit as well. I think yes. just just that you've got so much experience at center and quarterback, and then and then an offensive coordinator and an offensive staff that's willing to kind of be open to the the the, the kind of the feedback and a let and trust, I guess, of everybody. I think plays into it because Forsyth has probably not been discussed as much if you're talking about protection stuff of like i think he and Bo. it sounds like have a meeting every day talking they, they, they've talked about this have a meeting every day talking about adjusting to protections based upon what the op- opposition does each week of like getting together watching the film breaking it down okay this is a look this is what we're going to change it to this kind of stuff so i think there's there's a lot going on here football's a complicated game guys i don't i can't pretend i understand all of it but it sounds like these guys these guys do these guys are really smart. They're like, That's Oregon, Oregon's got some really smart people in charge of their offense. So uh, kudos to them. All right. Should we wrap it up with the last one? From yes, sure. Yeah. At, at Jeep Duck Nerd. Great name. Love it. What are your thoughts on the overall improvement on the Pac-12? Is this a flash in the pan or sustainable with a good foundation? And how big of a factor might it be in a new media deal? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Hashtag Go Ducks. Hashtag Premier Pack Twelve. Might be a record for most hashtags used in a That's question a on the show. Um, I think a huge part of the improvement this year has been quarterback, and mm-hmm. it's because you look at the top four teams. Two of them have veteran quarterbacks who are back and who've started for several seasons now in UCLA and Utah, and two of them went to the portal and added really good players in Phoenix and Caleb Williams. And you look at the rest of the conference, who's good? Washington added Michael Penix, leads the NCAA in pass yards. He's been very good. Washington State hasn't been very good, but like Cam Ward is certainly a capable and a good quarterback. Arizona, great pass offense, Jaden Delora. 
even Cal, like I don't think that's a great Cal team, but they up, they've got a decent quarterback. I think Jack Plummer is like pretty solid. Um, throughout the conference, they've upgraded almost at quarterback across the board. And if they haven't upgraded from a bringing in somebody, their players are back as like multiple year starters now. So I think that's a big part of it for me. Um, obviously, I think the two of the programs we talked about also had coaching changes. And I think both Oregon and USC undoubtedly feels like upgraded. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel comfortable saying that about Oregon, and I don't think anybody at USC would argue <laughs> anything other than Lincoln Riley is is better than the old guy. Uh, so, like, I think those are the big <laughs> ones, like without question, right? Like, like there's new coaches, there's new quarterbacks. All of it seems to be better than it was before. Is this sustainable? Well, unfortunately, USC and UCLA, who are two of the top teams, aren't going to be here very long. So probably <laughs> not. So probably not, um, which stinks because. I mean, I, genuinely, like, I feel like the conference actually looks kind of good right now, and I would love to see this play out for four or five years and have an Oregon-USC rivalry, Oregon-UCLA rivalry in the conference. Utah involved, Washington maybe gets better. We're not going to get treated to that, and I don't even know if Oregon will be part of the Pac-12 by the time this new re- media deal takes place. So, um, I, I, you know, it's, it's a hard – that part is really hard to answer. There's a lot of, you know, kind of question marks. Um I don't think this – here's what I'd say. If the conference was set to be around for – there was no interruption of it, and USC and UCLA weren't leaving, I don't know if it's a flash in the pan. I actually think the conference has gotten quite a bit better, and I think the transfer portal will continue to help because it will allow uh, a lot of these teams to go out there and, and add a lot of talent. UCLA's team is built largely by a transfer portal, and that's been a huge adjustment for Chip Kelly. Like, this is a perfect outcome for the Bruins of, like, Chip Kelly hated prep recruiting, like his, his least favorite thing. Now he's just got to do basically free agency, which probably is much more to his liking. Um, they have been probably the team in the conference that has overhauled the roster the most besides for USC for using the portal, and it's worked out. Oregon really used the portal. It's worked out. Like I think some of these things are benefiting Pac-12 schools, but two of these teams that are in the kind of conversation for being the top dogs right now aren't going to be here very long, so I don't know. I don't think it's sustainable, and again, I don't know what's going to happen going forward which is why I don't know how any of this factors into the media rights deal, because I think it's really hard to project given. I don't know who's going to be a part of the conference in three years. It's really hard to project in terms of the media deal. Um, I'll get to that in a second, but is it a flash of a flash in the pan or a good foundation? Um, I'm not really sure to be honest with you, because you look at the top teams in the back 12, all of their quarterbacks, except for USC, all of them could be, could be gone at the end of the season and Bo Nix and, and Penix Dorian Thompson Robinson and Cameron Rising. I know I think Rising has a year left in eligibility, as does Knicks. But all of those guys could be gone. And again, they could go in the transfer portal and find Penix more too. quarterbacks. Yeah. Penix is gone. No, he, he has, has no, one more year. He, he has. I think I could have two. Really? Wow. He definitely has one. I'll look it up. All right. Thank He's you. He's a junior um, right now. Dang. Well, anyways, all of them could be gone. And with the seasons that all of them are having, would it surprise you if they all left? Because these are statistically for maybe except rising, but he still has you know a couple games left to finish off the year. Um, I think these are all the best statistical seasons of, of any of those quarterbacks. And Caleb Williams is obviously a, a sophomore, so he's got plenty of time left on his resume. But you, you kind of look at that, and, and the quarterback play this year has been so much better than it was last year, and that's why there are so many good Pac-12 teams this year. With all of those guys potentially gone, it's like, all right, well, uh, who's in line next? And who they, who can they find in the transfer portal? And like Josh Pate said on this podcast uh, like a week and a half ago, um, he thinks the transfer portal is going to be absolute madness, which it very well could. And then Oregon and Washington and all these other teams could find another quarterback and rebuild through the transfer portal. Um, I, I just think that this is – it's a great time for Pac-12 football. I just don't know if it's sustainable. And you look at the top four – and we've kind of hinted at this as well. You look at the top four and it's great. And even Oregon State is now a ranked team and it looks wonderful. And Washington's been playing much better than they did last year. Once you, you know, un- like, you know, open the blanket and then look at the rest of the Pac-12, then you start to have some issues because there's no real, other than Arizona, in my personal opinion, I don't know if any of these teams below the Oregon State, Mendoza, Lion have gotten a lot better this season. You know, Colorado and Cal, those teams are some of the worst. And those those teams are the, one of the worst in the conference. Colorado is one of the worst teams in college football. It's never a great thing to have those in your conference. And obviously, most conferences have those players or those teams. You look at the Big Ten and they have 
they've had Northwestern and, and Iowa this season, which are two pretty rough teams to watch. But, you know, just looking at steady improvement and what this foundation is for the Pac-12, and now, like Eric mentioned, without USC and UCLA, you know, it's kind of worrisome. And then for the media, the media rights, I don't, I don't know. And I, I really have no idea. And, and if Org, or if the Pac-12 is looking at going with Amazon, that's a that's smart, but if it's only on Amazon Prime, then I know a lot of people do use Amazon, and it's wonderful, and I love them. So please, please sponsor our podcast. Um, I don't know like how many people use Amazon or are willing to pay the yearly fee that includes Amazon Prime Video. So then you're kind of stuck in the same scenario where your fan base doesn't really want to pay this extra amount of dollars to get their Oregon games, just like with the Pac-12 Network. At least it's more accessible, but I th- thank you, whoever did that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's – I'm very con- confused on whether it's a good foundation or if it's a, a flash in the pan of, of how good this conference is this season and how it will look moving forward. Uh, well, Jared, I, I don't have the data. Actually, now I do. I just found it. There we go. 148.6 million people are subscribers to Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. I am one of those, I can say. Um, I feel like 148 million is a lot more subscribers than the Pac-12 network currently has. So yes. I would argue that from an Amazon perspective, it's a win because you're getting more people who have access to the Pac-12 networks now or the Pac-12 conference, whatever it turns into, than currently uh, its current format. So that's – is it the best outcome? No, but it's still, I think, a hell of a lot better than its current situation. Um, Oh, yeah, I think almost anything is better than what they do now. Yes. Don't don't get me wrong here. Um, Now, it's a flash in the pan, but it can also be more down the road. Like Eric said, USC and UCLA are gone after the 2024 season or 2023 season. I can't remember. Um, they jo- 2023. They, they, yeah, they joined the Big Ten in 24. Yeah. So those two teams are gone. Is UCLA a flash in the pan kind of this season? We'll see what happens next year, what kind of quarterback they get. Um, USC, it's USC. They'll, they'll always kind of be really good or underachieving. But it now falls on Utah to continue to do what it's been doing the last couple of seasons and be a, a top 15 team. And then you look at Washington and and they're starting to turn things around here. And if they can, if they can continue to elevate their program a little bit and consistently be a nine and three, 10 and two, maybe a down years and eight and four type season, then the league's you know profile will continue to go up. But where they need help is they need Stanford to get back to, Stanford of old. They cannot have Stanford be a four and eight to a six and six, seven and five team. I know that their fan base doesn't show up for their games, but from a, a national perspective, from within the media, from within the voters, from in the college football playoff, Stanford is a respected program. And when they win, it level it raises the profile of the conference. And then Jared brought up Arizona. If Jed Fish can get this team to trend again and take another step next season and then another step the, fo- the following year, that's another program that could you know that could elevate the league a little bit. Um, are they going to be as strong as they currently are? No, no one's going to say that. But I, I still think that this league has its pieces in place where you look at Oregon, you look at Utah, those are your two pillars. Those are you know the foundation of the program or the conference. But then Oregon State, Washington – Stanford, you throw in every other year, maybe a Washington State, ASU, or or Arizona, and the league will be fine. The league will be will be big enough. We'll have the names where if you do go twelve and one, and you win your conference, you're in the playoff, and you have a decent chance. I I, I don't know if I totally. I just I think the Pac-10 is. I don't know how viable it is for Oregon to be in it after it's they it's wanna, not. They, they got to get out. I, and and there there might be two to three to four years of being able to that working out. Matt, I just think the the change in the financials is going to make it really difficult for any of the teams in the Pac-10 to try to contend sure. with with the Pac-12, with the Big Ten, and the SEC. 
So you could I, you could convince me like through twenty six, it's fine. But like you get to twenty, then start of the twenty thirty decade, and if they're still in this conference, it's like it's big big problems. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, I don't th- I don't think college football will be in its current format, even with USC and UCLA in twenty twenty four. That that college football version will be different in. 2026, 2027, 2028. I think it'll be drastically different. I agree. It might be. I don't know. I mean, like the big Big Ten or excuse me, the Big Twelve designed their nice six to seven year deal with ESPN and, and Fox. I just, if you're the Pac-10 and your leading uh, your leading schools are Utah and Oregon, like that's that doesn't compare. And to the Oregon Big Twelve, huh? To the Big Twelve, you don't think that compares? I think it, I mean it probably comes closer to that, but you're still just just like I mean, the Big Twelve is going to be. They're going to tread water against everybody. Yeah, else. no, the Big that's, the Big Twelve's dead, which is why I I think I think the Pac-10 might be in a okay shape compared to the Big Twelve. But you've got to if, if you're Oregon, you got to get the hell out of Dodge, man. Right, right, and Oregon and Utah are, are not the not the best compared to like a an Alabama and or obviously Texas no. and Oklahoma. But when you're Oregon, you're above Utah, you're above whoever is going to be in the Big 12 at that point. Okay, State, I guess, would probably be your lead candidate, maybe Baylor, TCU. You're way better than them, so you can jump. You should, like we've been saying for a long time on this podcast, is you got to jump ship. you got to look to see if you can get in the Big 10, if the Big 10 will bring you in Washington or you in Utah or you in, I don't know, Stanford or Cal, whatever they want for as many TVs as they can get. Um, it's just... Uh, yeah, there's just there is a base layer here in terms of a good foundation, but I'm I'm, I'm not 100 percent convinced. Like this is it's, it's not more than just a flash in the pan, at least for the next two years or after two years. Excuse me. All right, it's gonna do it for us here on the Offs and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for submitting questions. We'll be back on Tuesday, breaking down college football playoff and more here on the Offs and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.